Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to be back in the book of Lamentations, back in Lamentations 3, continuing our study. And this morning we find ourselves in verses 22 through 24. Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. And I've titled the message for this morning, Grace in Suffering. And as we've been going through this chapter, it's become clear to us in our study that the prophet is processing the reality of suffering in his own life. And not only is he thinking through the suffering that he is experiencing, but he's trying to think through and process that suffering in light of the realities of God's truth. In other words, he's trying to submit his suffering, submit even his feelings back to God's revealed truth. And as we've seen in this study, the chapter, the, the, the prophet records this chapter in order to equip us as readers to do the same thing. To, to process the suffering in our life and to submit the feelings that we have to God's truth. And so in these verses in this chapter, readers will find the truths that are necessary to deal with suffering faithfully. And I think that's important for me to keep reminding you of. We're doing this whole chapter on suffering in a way, the whole book of Lamentations intersects with our suffering in a fallen world. But what I want you to understand is that Lamentations chapter 3 does not alleviate our suffering. This side of glory, this side of the resurrection, this side of our presence before the Lord, suffering is a reality that the Lord is not going to take away. He's told us that. He's told us that. So you might say, you know, Pastor, we've been doing this study on suffering. We've been through Lamentations chapter 3 for how many weeks now? I don't know how long you're going to draw this out for, but I'm still suffering. It's not working. <laughs> well, let's just reorient our goals a little bit. Our goal is not to alleviate suffering. I certainly cannot do that. The goal, the reason even why this chapter was written and the reason why we're studying it is not to remove suffering from this life, but instead to equip us as God's people to endure that suffering faithfully, to hold on to our faith, to keep our eyes on Christ, to bring glory to Christ and trust Him, even in the midst of our difficulty. That's the goal. And with respect to that goal, this chapter provides us with strength for suffering that will rise above our ordinary fleshly impulses. You know, in our sin nature, we're hardwired to deal with suffering in a specific way or in specific ways. And what this chapter reminds us is those natural ways of dealing with suffering are insufficient. We've got we to gotta wipe those clean. That's what verses 1 through 18 were about. We've got to reorient our hope. That's what those next three verses were about. And we've got to look to the Lord and His grace. And that's what our verses for today remind us of. In fact, the verses we're going to be looking at today are particularly important in for our suffering. This really is the pinnacle of the entire chapter. This is the high point. And not even just this chapter. This is the pinnacle, the crux of the entire book. Of course, these verses that we'll read in just a moment 
Not only are they important for the book, but they've been important in the history of the church. These are some of the most familiar, the most quoted, and most comforting verses in the entire Scriptures. And as we look at these verses, these verses call our attention to the most important ingredient for faithful suffering. God. Specifically, God's grace. Look with me, Lamentations 3. I'll begin reading in verse 22. And certainly it'll be familiar to you. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. You see, these verses take us where every suffering saint needs to run as quickly as possible. And that is to the truth of God's grace. We're not going to go anywhere without God's grace. We need God's grace to atone for and deal with our own unfaithfulness. We're sinners. Apart from God's grace, we have nothing. God's grace is what saves us. It was by God's grace that Christ was sent into this world. And by God's grace, He lived born of a woman, born under the law. He fulfilled the law. By grace, He died on the cross to absorb God's wrath. As an act of cosmic and incredible grace, He was resurrected from the dead and enthroned on high as Lord and King. Those are all acts of grace, and it is by the grace won for us in Christ Jesus that we have salvation. In fact, that's the only hope that we have of salvation. If you're here today and you don't understand anything of what I just said about Jesus, or you don't believe it, then you don't have salvation. We don't have salvation in any other way but the grace won by Christ Jesus. God's grace saves us. It atones for our unfaithfulness to the Creator of the world. Additionally, God's grace, it not only atones for our unfaithfulness, but we need God's grace to empower new faithfulness. You say, I don't want to go back to those old patterns. I don't want to go back to that sin. I don't want to go back to that old way of living. Well, good. That desire is great, but understand that in your own power, you cannot fulfill that desire. Even to obey God, you need help from God. And in this way, God's grace not only saves us of our sin, but God's grace sanctifies us unto holiness. And when it comes specifically to enduring trials, we must understand that without God's grace, we have no hope of endurance. The grace that saves and sanctifies is also a grace that sustains, that protects And the truths in this passage remind us of that very grace. The truths of this passage remind us of the God of that grace. The, the truths in this passage here, this is what Mike, uh, excuse me, not Micah, but the prophet Jeremiah was turning back to, to find hope. He says, I call this to mind. What was it that he called to mind? He called to mind these truths about God and God's grace. These verses They're not only continuing to build on what we've studied about the need for faithfulness and the path towards hope 
and, and, and repenting back towards faith in the Lord. It's not only building on that, but it's showing us what the entire foundation for this work of endurance is. And that foundation is God's grace. The only resources that we have that are reliable for faithfulness and endurance are rooted in God's grace. We will not endure under our own power or through our own resources. So really, Lamentations 3, 22-24, it calls us back to God's grace, to trust in that grace, to look to that grace, even in the midst of our suffering. And sometimes that's hard. You're in the middle of suffering and whatever it is, man, you just want to get out of that. I just, I want to be done with this. And so when some other believer brings God's word and comes along and says, you know, brother or sister, remember you've got God's grace that saves you and sanctifies you and sustains you in this suffering. Your sinful heart is not going to want to hear that. It's true, and it's the greatest reality that could ever be articulated, but you don't want to hear that. You just want to hear, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get out of this? Don't tell me about salvation. Yeah, I'm saved. I'll go to heaven, but I want to get out of this now. Don't tell me about sanctification. I don't want to be holy. I want to be comfortable, and I'm not comfortable right now. Don't tell me about God's grace will sustain me in the midst of suffering. I don't want that, because if if that's what God promises me, sustaining me that means he might leave me in this even longer i don't want him to sustain me i want him to move me (laughs) well these verses remind us that in the midst of suffering we have to reorient our thinking specifically we have to reorient our thinking back towards god's grace we need to understand that no matter how profound the difficulty no matter how difficult or or hard the suffering is, no matter how expansive the loss might be, no matter how severe the trial is, that the suffering saint, the believer in Christ Jesus who is in the midst of suffering, that believer has God and as a result has God's grace. And there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than that. Even in the midst of your suffering, believer, you have God's grace. And, and not only do you have God's grace, but what this passage reminds us of is God's grace is all we need. God's grace is all we need. In other words, God's grace is sufficient to us even in the midst of suffering. I'll give away the ending just in case we run out of time with the Lord's table and new members welcoming. But at the end, the prophet reveals his contentment. He says, the Lord is my portion. Lord is my portion. In other words, God's grace is sufficient for me. Remember the Apostle Paul? He wanted to get out of the thorn of the flesh. He wanted that gone. That that piece of suffering in his life, Lord, get it out. Lord, get it out. Lord, get it out. What does the Lord say? No, no, no. I'm teaching you a lesson that in your weakness, you are strong because you're trusting in me. What was undergirding that application? My grace is sufficient. That was the lesson that Paul had to learn. That's why God didn't remove the suffering. What do we find here in Lamentations chapter 3? The prophet has to come to the place where he realizes God's grace is sufficient for me. If I never get out of this trial on this life, that's okay because I have hope in the life to come and I have God right now and that's enough. That's enough. 
And so in the midst of his suffering, the prophet turned his attention to the sufficient grace of God. Specifically, the prophet turned his attention to four sufficient realities of God's grace. Four sufficient realities of God's grace. That's kind of how we're going to organize our thinking through this passage, these four sufficient realities. And we find the first in the beginning of verse 22. Here, the prophet recalls what we might call the character of God's grace. The character of God's grace. And this is really important because often we become so focused on the nature of our problem that we forget about the nature of our God. Sometimes, you know, we get in, we get in a bind, we get in a difficult situation, and you know, five or six different ways we can explain to you how difficult the situation is. Let me tell you why it's difficult. Oh, you know what? When I was just telling you how bad it was over here, I thought of another reason why it's bad because this is bad too and this is bad and there's no way out here and there's no way out here and every way around it, I've thought through the nature of this thing and no matter where I land, it's bad. We're good at that. We can have a whole problem surrounded to see just how awful it is. But in the course of thinking through just how bad our circumstances are, we often forget about just how good our God is and how great our God is. The problem is we have weak faith. The problem is we forget about the nature of our God. In fact, I would put it this way, if any little difficulty can put you into full-on panic mode, any little unexpected circumstance, any little trial can put you into a, 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 a full panic, full anxiety attack, well... The problem is not your circumstances. The problem is weak faith and a small view of God. The problem is that you have forgotten that your circumstances changed drastically and unexpectedly, but your God did not change one bit. In fact, I'm convinced that in heaven we will look back amazed at our weak faith that led to instability. I can't believe I let that freak me out. I mean, I'm before the throne of God. This is awesome. I can't believe I was worried about that. And it's the character of God's grace described in this verse here that helps us to see that His grace is sufficient. The character of it exceeds any suffering that we'll experience on this life. And the prophet describes the character of God's grace by saying, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Now the, the phrase steadfast love of the Lord, that's translating one single Hebrew word that we've come across in our studies before it's that hebrew word hesed we saw it in the book of ruth it describes a faithful love a covenant keeping love a loyal love a steadfast love as it's translated this kind of hesed love it always prioritizes the well-being and benefit of others and it's always loyal it always remains true we might say that this kind of hesed love is the opposite of sinful, selfish lust that would drive the natural man away from God and lead to betrayal. It's pure and perfect. It's devoted to its recipients. And by the way, what's interesting, and you might not pick up on this in your English translation, it says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The word hesed here is plural. 
The steadfast loves of the Lord. That doesn't mean there's different loves. It's, it's drawing our mind to the specific examples of God's love that we can point back to in our lives. Specific examples where God has shown us this grace that is characterized by His perfect love. I mean, think about in the history of Israel, how many, how, many, how many historical events that Israel could look back on as a nation and say, there's steadfast love of the Lord, there's steadfast love of the Lord, there's steadfast love of the Lord. And even believer in your own life, how easy it is for us to, to, to recount the difficulties of life, but when we stop and think about it, our lives are permeated by this steadfast love of the Lord. It's God's grace all over our lives. And what the prophet brings out here is that the character of this grace is such that not only was it abundant in the past, but we can trust that it's going to be abundant in the future because this steadfast of the Lord, you know when it ceases? Never. Never. You see, God's grace is just as infinite as God because it's who God is. Now, the Hebrew here is actually a little tricky at the end of this phrase. Most English translations say that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Another alternate translation based on the manuscripts might be to say because of the steadfast love of the Lord, we are not cut off. That's another possible translation there. Either the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases or because of the steadfast love of the Lord, we are not cut off. What's the significance of that alternate possible translation? Well, Think about it from the prophet's perspective. In the nation of Israel, they were under the punishment of the Lord. They were being sent off into exile. They had received all these promises from the Lord. The Lord has promised His hesed love to this nation. And now all of that from an earthly perspective seems like it's in jeopardy, doesn't it? And so it may very well be that the prophet here is saying, look, because of the character of God's grace, He's going to keep his promises and we will not be cut off. Or as Romans eleven twenty nine 29 speaks of it, it could be pointing to the inviolable promises of God. God's not going to violate his promise. He's not going to break those promises. You say, well, which translation is it? Well, in all likelihood, it's the one that you have as the primary translation in your English uh, Bible there. Both are possible, and the fact of the matter is, either way, the meaning is the same. God's grace won't be snuffed out and eliminated, even though the people were going into exile. God's covenant love would not come to an end. That's the point. And it's this unending covenant love that characterizes the grace of God. It's in His very nature. In fact, this is in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. This is how God described Himself. A God abounding in steadfast love. And for us, we might be under a different covenant and in different circumstances than the prophet was in ancient Israel, but we serve the same God, don't we? And His love towards us in Christ Jesus will not end. In fact, if you wanted to study out the, the new covenant corollary statement to Lamentations chapter 3, you'd have to look no further than Romans chapter 8. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Well, there's a lot of things on that list, but at the end of the list it summarizes it all and says nothing. 
What, what can separate you, believer, from the love of God? Can your circumstances, what are you going through right now? Can that separate you from God's love? No, it cannot. Why? Because of the character of God's grace. Because the character of that love. Because uh, of the way God has bound Himself to you in Christ. We've said this before, and we can say it again today, that for Christ to stop lo- or for God the Father to stop loving His people, He would have to stop loving His Son, Christ, which is never going to happen. His steadfast love will never end. His covenant grace is unmeasured and unceasing towards us in Christ Jesus. Listen, friend, there are a lot of implications that we could dive into with this, but just at the very least, we can leave it at this. Our suffering will end, but the steadfast love that characterizes God's grace will never come to an end. That's the character of God. That's the character of His grace. And that's what we can hold on to in the midst of our suffering. In the midst of your suffering, if you can't understand anything else about what's going on, why it's happening, you're completely spiritually disoriented. I understand that. I've been there before. But what you can always look to is the reality of who God is and what His grace is like. His steadfast love never ceases. That's the character of God's grace. Additionally, in verse 22, I want you to see a second sufficient reality of God's grace. And here the prophet calls us to remember the care of God's grace. So you got the character of God's grace. And then in verse 22, you also see the care of God's grace. You see, as human beings, our love for someone, even when they're in suffering, is often limited by our inability to help them. There are a lot of times that people come to me as pastor, pastor, I am going through this. And it's almost like they look at me like, fix it. And there's so many times when I wish I could. But more often than not, my love for that brother or sister is limited by my weakness to the point where all I can say is, I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm sorry you're going through I'll pray for you. I'll encourage you. I'll weep with you. But so often, that's as far as we can go in helping a brother or sister out through their suffering. Of course, sometimes we can do more, but often our love is limited only to empathy. We weep with those who weep. That's not the case with God's love. That's not the case with God's grace. You see, God's loving grace is never limited in this way. He is always able and always does perfectly care for His people. Notice it says, His mercies never come to an end. Now again, this is one of those cases where your English translation might not bring out the full nuance. It's accurate. It's true. The mercies of the Lord never end. But the nuance of that word mercy is important. See, the word mercies are sometimes also translated compassions of the Lord. That that Hebrew word, it's referring to tender expressions of love or specific examples of affectionate care. That's a little different than we might think of when we hear the word mercies, isn't it? I hear the Lord's mercies are new, or the Lord's mercies never come to an end, and they're new every morning. I think good because my sin is new every day, and I need new mercy every day. And that's true, but that's not exactly what the prophet is bringing out here. This word mercy, it, uh, it's actually a word 
uh, that is related to the word for a mother's womb. And it's often used in the Hebrew language to describe gentle parental care. So really what the prophet's bringing out is that he's reminding God's people that God's grace is his meticulous and unfailing care for his children. Remember Matthew 7, Jesus kind of brings all this up and says, look, if you earthly fathers know how to care for your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to care for you? It's that everyday loving, gracious, and kind care that the Lord freely gives to his people. Think about how many times God cared for Israel before the exile and even during the exile. The prophet's reminding God's people, God cares for you. This is a wonderful reminder to know that we never have to worry about God's gracious care coming to an end. I mean, think about how many times, believer, in your life, you've experienced God's providential care over you and in your life. Think about how many ways and and specific ways God has cared for you. As your heavenly Father, how many ways He's provided for you. How many breaths you've taken as a free gift from the Lord. Well, what this verse reminds us, that's never going to end. In fact, the, the... the millions if not billions of examples of God's specific care that we've experienced in our life, we haven't even began, begun to put a dent in God's grace. It's infinite. It's unending. They never come to an end. In fact, one translation says that they never fail. That word fail there, or coming to an end, Sometimes it's used to re- refer to a stream that dries up. You know, sometimes, you say, boy, that, that, that's a dry creek bed right there. Whatever the source of water was just dried up. Well, God's grace is never going to dry up on us. His grace is never overwhelmed by our circumstances. You ever overwhelmed? I am. I am. God's never overwhelmed. And His grace never fails. Your circumstances and your feelings cannot change the fact that God is actively caring for you right now. In fact, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties, cast all your cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Again, the implications of this are manifold and we could get into this even deeper, but for now we can leave it at this. Our suffering will end, but the gracious care God provides for His people will never come to an end. Never dry up. That's the care of God's grace. And as we move on to verse 23, we find another sufficient reality of God's grace. Here the prophet recalls what we might call the concreteness of God's grace. It's concrete. It's tangible. When when something's concrete... That means it's specific. It's definite. I have concrete evidence that this took place. God's grace in our life, it's concrete. 
specific, it's definite, it's tangible. It's not vague, it's not undefined. It's not, oh yeah, I've, I've got grace, but I don't know what that means. No, it's specifically God caring for us and helping us in this life. In fact, not only is it specific, but it's tailored to exactly what we need. God tailors His sustaining grace to perfectly match the providential suffering that He has tailored for our sanctification. Okay, they need to be refined, they need to be purified, they need to go through this discipline process. But when I put them through that, I'm also going to give them this grace so that they'll be sustained through that. You might think it's a good idea to throw your kid in the deep end to teach him how to swim. God doesn't parent that way. I mean, you can. I'm not, you know, whatever. Have a lifeguard on duty, I guess. But I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying, sometimes we think, God's got me in a trial. He just threw me in the deep end. Well, what works for teaching your kid to swim over the summer? That's not how God works to sanctify us. He tailors that suffering for our lives, but He tailors the grace that we need to match it perfectly. And we see this when the prophet says that these mercies, these examples of God's care in our life, they are new every morning. That word new, it signifies something that is fresh. Signifies something that is specific. It's a, it's a specific expression of God's grace in your life. Each new morning brings with it a new expression of God's help and grace in your life. Think about how impactful that would have been for the Jews who were being carried off into captivity. Okay, you're going to be disciplined. Well, the faithful Jews, like the prophet, are saying, how, how, how's that going to work? How are we going to endure that? What is going to happen? And what's interesting is that, that what we see in this passage is God didn't come to the prophet and say, okay, here's what Monday's going to look like, and here's what Tuesdays are going to look like. And on Wednesday, those Babylonians, they go kind of crazy with their you know, false gods and their feasts and stuff. So you've got to do this. No, he doesn't do that. What he says is, here's how you're going to survive. Here's how you're going to be sustained. My gracious care for you is going to be new every morning. You just trust that. You just trust, I will give you enough grace for today, and then when tomorrow comes, I'll give you enough grace for tomorrow. That's the new mercies that we read about here. And by the way, we're the recipients of the greatest new mercy in all the Scriptures, the new mercy of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31, Jeremiah's working through all of these things. The people are going to be punished. Their hearts are wicked. And in Jeremiah 31, 31, the Lord promises, but I am going to make a new covenant with you. Talk about new mercies, new grace, new care. And I am going to write my law on your heart. I will be your God. You will be my people finally by my grace. Every morning we need God's merciful care. And every morning we get just what we need. Each day we wake up on this earth brings with it a fresh expression of God's grace in our life. He always provides for us what we need when we need it. Even if it's not what we wanted or thought we needed. How many times have we experienced that? How many times have we been in the midst of a spiritual battle and all of a sudden 
we got that word of encouragement right when we needed it. How did that happen? You know, I was really battling with this pastor and you preached exactly on that. Have you been reading my prayer journal? No, I haven't. That's, I had no idea. You know, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Every day of our lives has been marked out by the specific and undeserved acts of God's divine compassion. And that's not going to end. It's not some mornings. Like sometimes we live so much by feelings that we say, Whoo, the Lord really poured out His grace on my life today. And then another day it's like, man, I just not feeling it. Well, God's grace is there every morning. It's just a matter of whether by faith you trust in it and walk in it. He's caring for His people. So even in this, our suffering, it's temporary. It's going to end. It's not our, the entirety of our lives. In contrast, God's specific help, His grace, it is the entirety of our lives. It's new every morning. It's fresh every day. It's concrete. We can point to specific examples of it. And that pushes us even further into this passage where we find a fourth sufficient reality. Again in verse 23. And here, the prophet recalls for us what we might call the consistency of God's grace. So we've seen the character of God's grace. It's who He is. It's His steadfast love. And then at the same time, we've seen the care of God's grace. It's these compassionate acts where He cares for us each day. Then the concreteness. It's fresh. It's specific. It's objective. It's concrete. Now at the end of verse 23, we see the consistency of it. You see, the gods of the Old Testament were impetuous, capricious, unreliable, Baal might wake up one day and act one way and wake up another day and act a different way. Is it a comforting to know that we don't serve a God like that? We serve a God that never changes and His grace is always consistent. He always uses the same means of grace. He offer, always offers us the same grace based on Christ's work. It's always there. It's consistent. And the consistency of God's grace is described here with the term faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. So often in the Old Testament, uh, the, the steadfast love, the hesed of the Lord, and the faithfulness of the Lord are paired together. Here's who God is, and He's always that way. We might say, boy, the, the, that hesed love of the Lord is great, but am I going to have it tomorrow? <laughs> Well, all the time, the Old Testament throws this term faithfulness here to remind us this is who God is and this is always who God is. In fact, that's even pent up in the name that God chose to reveal to His people, Yahweh. I am who I am. I was who I was and I will be who I will be. He is. That's it. He is. We can bank on the reality that God will always be faithful to who He is and He'll always be faithful to what He said and He'll always be faithful to those whom He has loved. Our suffering cannot change the fact that God is always faithful in these ways. Sometimes it's tough to hear. Sometimes it doesn't seem that comforting. But that's only because you want your circumstances to change so bad that you've lost sight of these realities. 
But understand this, there is nothing greater than the faithful grace of God. In fact, it says right here, great is your faithfulness. It's innumerable. It's abounding. It's infinite. Like you might look at your life and you say, look, the, the, the sources of suffering in my life are too numerous for me to list out for you today. That may be true, but understand, it's never going to match the grace of God. It's never going to overwhelm who God is. It's never going to be greater than God. It's amazing how small the trials are in this life that derail us when you compare them to the greatness of God's faithfulness, isn't it? Our suffering, our feelings about that suffering will change all the time. But God's faithfulness to show us grace will never change. That's what His grace is. And, and, and when you understand these realities of God's grace, the character and, and the care of God's grace, the concreteness and the consistency of God's grace, when you understand these realities about God's grace, it leads to something very important in our lives. It leads to what we might call contentment in God's grace. You see, these were all the truths about God's grace that led to the prophet's total reversal. In verse 18, he says, My endurance has perished. Why? Well, in part because verse 17 says, I have forgotten what happiness is. The word happiness there should be translated goodness. I've forgotten what's good. Well, what's good? God is good and His grace is good. The prophet had completely lost sight of everything that we've read about in verses 22 through 23. The prophet had forgotten all these things. And because he had forgotten all of these things, and taken his eyes off of the gracious character of God, his faith, his endurance failed, and he had no hope. So now what happens? Well, he turns his heart back to these truths about God and his grace. And what happens? Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. His faith in these truths about God's grace led to an inner peace, an inward contentment. He was able to say, the Lord is my portion. Our big problem is not that the Lord doesn't give us what we need. Our big problem is we want a different portion. Boy, I am so glad, God, that you've given me yourself for the person of Christ Jesus. Thank you. And could I also have a new car? <laughs> I mean, new cars aren't bad. But, but when you put it right up next to the, the, the infinitely good character of God, all of a sudden it doesn't seem quite so important anymore, does it? All of a sudden that junker you're driving around doesn't seem so bad. You see, here's what happened. When, when the prophet's soul says, the Lord is my portion, here's what happened. He realized that if he had God and he had God's grace, then he had everything that he needed. That's it. The greatest thing that we can possess on this earth and in the life to come, the greatest thing that we can possess is a relationship with the gracious God of the universe. That's it. If you have God, you have everything you need. You say, I don't have a job. Well, God will take care of that. 
You have a relationship with the Lord? There's certainly other things that we need in this life, but if you have God, He'll take care of that. Maybe not in the way you wanted. But if you have God, you have the greatest thing there is. In fact, this is, if you trace out the whole promise of the Bible, the promise of the Bible is the promise of God. The whole message culminates in Revelation 21 and the new heavens and the new earth where where the redeemed people of Christ are all together. And what is the greatest thing about the new heavens and the new earth? Well, it's not the streets of gold. I think the idea behind the streets of gold, by the way, is the gold that we find so uh, valuable and important in this life is pavement in heaven. That's the, the point is not like, oh man, we're going to have so much gold, it's going to be awesome. No, it's gold is going to be as meaningless as asphalt is in this life. That's the point. It's not the streets of gold. The thing that makes eternity so great is the promise that God gives in Revelation 21.3 that I will be with them. What, what makes eternity as the redeemed people of God so great? God will be there. I mean, that's where this whole thing started. God was in the garden and he walked with them. He created them for fellowship with him, to, to, to fellowship in his holy fellowship of the Trinity, but they sinned and they fell short of that. And so what are the promises of the Bible? What is the promise of the gospel? It's, it's God restoring that holy fellowship by dealing with our sins in the person of Christ Jesus and now sanctifying us as believers to make us holy so that we can experience perfect fellowship with God throughout all of eternity. And the prophet is coming back to the place where he's able to say, wait a minute. I have fellowship with God. I don't have a single friend on this earth and everybody's trying to kill me and the Babylonians are knocking down my city and people are dying all around me. And those things are awful. But at the end of the day, those things aren't my portion. I haven't lost my inheritance. My portion is God, and I cannot lose Him. In fact, the prophet had to lose everything in this world to realize that he had all he needed in God. And this kind of contentment, that's what we're after. If you want more and then you get more, you're going to want more. This kind of real heart, spiritual contentment, it's the result of looking to and trusting in God's grace, not improving your circumstances. Friend, if you're here today and you have grace, that's enough. That's enough because you have God. It's sufficient. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. If you have God and if you have grace, you have enough. We pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the way it challenges us. It certainly does not usually feel like we have enough. And yet if we have you through your son, Christ Jesus, we have more than enough. Lord, lead us by faith in your grace. Lead us to the same kind of spiritual contentment that you bless the prophet with. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.